I believe the word that I would use would be searching. Searching, seeking. We're looking for something, but we're not sure what it is. And it's elusive. When you don't know what it is, you can't pin it down. We're seeking for something. We could name a lot of things. We're seeking for political leadership. We're seeking for peace. We're seeking for moral freedom. We don't like the restraints. We're seeking for safety, political leadership, and so many other things. But because we're not sure what we're seeking, we haven't found anything yet. We're not really sure what we seek. In our text this morning, David was seeking. But David has pinpointed what he's seeking down, and he knows. Psalms 27, I hope you have your copy of God's Word. I would ask you, turn your Bible, if you would, to Psalms 27. And I'm going to read one verse there right now. And I want to ask you, in honor of God's Word, would you stand as I read this passage of Scripture? I'm reading from the King, the new King James Version this morning. It says some things that I want us to hear. Psalms 27, verse 4. Listen to what the psalmist is saying. One thing, one thing I have desired of the Lord, and that I will seek. And he goes on to say that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. And he goes on to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Now when you see that, You have to stop and study about it for a minute. Is David saying, I am just going to withdraw from society? I'm going to cloister myself somewhere in the synagogue or temple, and I'm going to pull away from everything. That's not what he's saying. Now, if you know much about David, David is a passionate man. David is passionate about his war victories and his time in war. He was passionate about bringing God's children, the Israelites, to their rightful place among the nations of the world at that time. He's passionate about all kinds of things. He's not saying, I just want to pull away from everything. But he says, there's something missing in my life. Now, if you know David, David had everything a man could want. He had it all. He had wealth, he had power, he had respect, he had praise, he had authority, he had challenges. What could a man like this want more when he has all of that? But David is saying, still something is missing. He says, there's a desire in my soul that hasn't been met yet. And he said, my entire total focus is going to be on what I need. He goes on to say, there's a way of living, a settled way of living, a spiritual intimacy with God that I don't have, that I want, 
That's what he's saying. Listen to that verse again that we just read, that I may dwell in the house. That means in God's presence, that I might dwell in God's presence. And then he goes on to say, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life and behold the beauty, the sweetness, the wonderful, the attractiveness of God, of the Lord, all the days of my life, and to behold the sweet attractiveness, the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire. That word inquire means to seek, that I might seek Him in His temple. And David says, I'm not going to rest until I get what I'm searching for. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for your word. And I thank you for your word as you speak to us this morning. Christ in his high priestly prayer prayed for us. And what he prayed for us is, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. And so, Father, my prayer for us at Crossroads, everyone in this room, in Jesus' name, I ask that you, Father, protect your church family. Here at Crossroads especially, Protect us from the devil, from his deceptive schemes and attacks that we will come under from time to time. And Father, so motivate us by our love for you that we will lay aside every encumbrance of sin that would hold us back. We would not get entangled with it. And Father, may we trust you to give us courage and peace as we look to Jesus for guidance and strength. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you, and you may be seated. David is saying, I want uninterrupted communication with my Lord. And I'm not going to be satisfied till I have that. That's what I want. I'm seeking for that. And I will not back off of what I'm looking for. There's got to be more to knowing about God than a Sabbath or a Sunday morning service. Surely there's more than just this. I'm looking for that. I'm seeking that, David says. I know many people in our churches, in churches that I'm in, many of them are cast down. And I hear people say, someone said, surely there's more to this than just Sunday morning. There's more to this than just meeting. It wasn't too long ago, some months ago, a young pastor came to me And he was in a quandary in the church that he's in and what God was going to do with him. And this young man said to me, and I wrote this down and it's very interesting. He said, I am not going to spend the rest of my ministry maintaining a broken system. 
Friend, I want to tell you something. We live in a broken system. In our churches, people are asking, where's the power? Where's the glory of God when we come together? What's any different being here than somewhere else outside of here? I'm going to give you some foundational truths this morning, five of them to be exact. And I'll tell you when I come to them, and I want you to write them down. There's got to be more. And David says, I'm not going to give up till I find it. Till I find it. Now, the wonderful thing about that request that we just read a moment ago is answered in a very quick time. Right there in chapter 27 of, of Psalms, go over to verses 8 and 9 and listen to what God answers David. God just gave him an answer. I don't know how much time is in between verse, that first verse, verse 4, and these verses, but I don't think very long. Listen to what God says. Now, this is David saying what God had said. When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, Lord, I will seek. Now, look at verse 9. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my help. Do not leave me nor forsake me. O God of my salvation. God said, David, you ask of me. And here's what the answer to your asking is. Very succinctly, God says, seek my face. Seek my face. What does it mean to seek God's face? Well, here is the first foundational truth for you to write in on your outline there. Well, here's what it means to seek God's face. It means to require his presence and his favor more than anything else. To require his presence and his favor more than anything else. Let me ask you, is there anything that you desire in your life more than the favor of God, the presence of God in your life? David says, that's missing in my life. That's what I want. And God says, here's how you get what you're looking for. You seek my face. That's how you satisfy that innermost being. You seek my face. Now David is saying, how can I have uninterrupted fellowship? And God is saying, you seek my face. You seek my face. You seek my presence and you seek my favor. Now we know that seeking God's face is pretty important. Many of us in here probably know and have memorized Second Chronicles 7.14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear, I will answer from heaven, and I will forgive their sins. I'll heal their nation, he says, if you seek my face. So seeking God's face is important for peace. It's important for God's presence, 
All of this is important. If you look at what's happening on television when it talks about God or in social media, when social media talks about God and it starts talking about God, you really understand that there's a lot of people seeking, but they don't know what they're seeking for. You know, when titles on television around Easter, when they want to get religious or spiritual, all the the networks begin to talk about things and they, they say, well, if there's a God or where is God, they're looking everywhere. Now, let me give you the second foundation. And this is a foundation of truth from God's Word. Write this in. There is more than one Jesus. You heard me. There is more than one Jesus. So when you're seeking the face of God, you need to make sure who you're seeking. It's vital that you seek the right Jesus because there's more than one. Listen to 2 Corinthians 11, verses 2 through 4. For I am jealous for you. This is Paul speaking to the church there at Corinth. For I am jealous for you with godly jealousy. For I have betrothed or I have promised to you one husband Uh, you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste or pure virgin to Christ. But I fear lest somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he who comes preaches another Jesus, see there is more than one Jesus, who we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. David, Paul rather, is saying to those that he writes to at Corinth, he says, when somebody comes along with something that sounds good and sounds logical, you just take up with it. You really don't know what's going on. If it sounds good, if it sounds logical, and if they present it in a very intelligent and smooth way, it's got to be right. He says, you'll take up with what anybody tells you. Now, let me tell you what Paul is saying. He's not just talking about teachers who are talking and teaching another Jesus. He is talking about that, but that's not all he's talking about. Here's what I want us to understand today. I want you to understand that he's also talking about concepts in our mind, thoughts in our mind that are contrary to the Word of God. And we have taken those thoughts, we have taken those, that thinking that we have in our mind, and we've added Christ-likeness to it when it may not be like Christ at all. There's abundance of that in our world. Let me give you a recent example of this. You know that the millennials are the largest socioeconomic group in our nation right now. There's 75 and a half million of them. 75 and a half million. Do you know that in a survey done back in the summer of this year we're finishing, 70 5% of those 75 and a half million millennials 
75% of them believe that same-sex marriage is morally okay. Now, that's a big hunk in our nation. That it's morally okay for them to do that. Now, let me tell you about that 75 and a half million millennials. Some of them grew up in our churches. They grew up right inside our churches. Some right here and some in the churches I've pastored. And all of a sudden now, this is what they believe. They have taken this idea in their mind and they've added Christ-likeness to it. But here's what's happening. The Jesus that's in their mind is not the Jesus of this book. They have another Jesus. That's a major loss in the legal world, in the court of legalism, but it's also a major loss in, the, in public opinion. That's what has happened. They have another Jesus. This morning, in our denomination, we're told that there's going to be about, about 5.8 million people worshiping. There was a time, about 20, 25 years ago, when we had 16 million members in our denomination. Back about 25, 20, 25 years ago, we woke up one day to find out we were losing all kinds of people in our churches. They just quit coming. And we, somebody said, we need to go find out what's going on, which is a great idea. And so they began to talk to these people. These were people who identified themselves as being born-again believers. What happened was, these people said, as they were surveyed, that here's some of the reasons they had dropped out of church. There was 10 to 12 million of them had dropped out of our churches that claimed to be born-again believers. What some of them said was really eye-catching. It just drilled into our hearts. Here's what some of them said. Some of them said when they were surveyed, the church deceived them. It was no different than the world. It was just a religious version of the world. Oh, my goodness. That hits home, doesn't it? Some of them went on to say, we were seeking a place where the presence of the Lord was evident and we can't find it. They were seeking that kind of place. Some of them are saying, we're seeking a place that the ambition of the leaders is to be more like Christ and nothing else. And then some of them said, these were the ones with a little more guts. They said, They wanted more of the Word of God and the conviction of sin and how to have victory over it than a feel-good message. That's what they said. Now, here's what happened when the 10 to 12 million people begin to come out of the churches. Just drop out. Some of them begin to meet in small groups, just in houses. And they started a movement called the Emerging Church. You remember that? Now listen carefully. When the groups met and worshipped for a while in small groups in houses, they began to merge with other groups. And now they were getting more and more people in one area. And here's what happens. Synchronism happened. What do you mean by that, Kent? I mean that when these groups begin to come together, they begin to bring a lot of stuff with them. 
a lot of stuff and they begin to just sort of merge it all together. There was something going on as far as Protestantism was concerned where you and I fit in, Catholicism. They added a little Eastern religion or Eastern uh, orthodoxy. And then they even, in some of them, had some uh, medieval mysticism. They just had a conglomeration of everything going on. And here's what happened. They became comfortable with that. They had another Jesus. Now, I'm not talking about all of them. Not all of them did that, but I'm talking about a great majority of them did. Here's what happened. They were searching for the truth. It's what they wanted. They wanted the truth. But they developed a theology, and if we don't watch it, we'll do the same thing, out of reaction to error rather than revelation to truth. That's what was going on. Now they have another Jesus. Let me give you a third foundational truth. Why is it vital that we seek the face of the Lord Jesus and no other in our seeking? Well, you might want to turn your Bibles over to Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. I want to read some verses beginning in verse 16, 2 Corinthians 3, verse 16. Listen to these passages. Here's what God says. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. That's a little confusing at first if you don't put some things with that. This is an Old Testament truth that we see identified in the New Testament. What this is all about is, as we look at it and begin to study it, it goes all the way back to Exodus, the 34th chapter. And in the 34th chapter, you may remember that Moses goes up a second time on Mount Sinai to receive the, test, the commandments again, because you remember he destroyed them the first time he came down. And he stayed 40 days up there with the Lord. And while he was in the Lord's presence for 40 days, here's what happened he began to glow in his face. You see, when you get around Jesus and you're around him very much, you begin to look like him. You begin to act like him. He had been there 40 days. So when he came off the mountain, bringing these two tablets with the Ten Commandments on them, he comes down. The people weren't looking at the tablets so much. They looked at his face glowing and they were frightened. And so Moses in order that the people might not be frightened, he put a veil over his face. Now, when Moses would go to talk to God, he'd take the veil off. But when he come back to talk to the people, there was a veil between him and them. Now, put that in mind. Listen to the rest of this. I want you to see what God says in verse 17 of this passage. Verse 16, he, he said, Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. There's nothing between you and God. Now look at verse 17. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, or there is freedom. Friend, I'm in a lot of churches where there's not freedom. A lot of people are shackled. They're shackled by so many things, it seems like. I'm talking about Freedom from bondage to sin. Freedom from tradition. Freedom from all the things that are not of God. 
But the Bible says that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Then I have to surmise when I don't see that freedom that the Spirit of the Lord must not be working in that place. That's what God tells us. He talks about that. Now look at verse 18 of that chapter you're in. But we all with unveiled face beholding Hang on to that word, beholding. I'm going to come back to it. Beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as by the Spirit of the Lord. As believers, beholding the glory of the Lord, we begin to look like Him. We begin to be changed into His image. Do you hear that verse? But he says, beholding as in a mirror. Beholding. We, we don't think, we don't use that word very often, so we don't think about it much. But let me tell you about beholding. It doesn't mean to see. Uh, beholding means to focus on something, to study it, to get to know it. Uh, let me give you an example, which probably everybody in this room has done. Is, is, is there been a time in your life when you drove down a road every day for... 5,000 years, always down that road. You knew what was over the next hill. You knew what was around the next corner. But one day you was driving down that road and all of a sudden you saw something you'd never seen before. And it wasn't just something new. I remember driving down the road and I saw a cemetery. That cemetery had been there a long time. Now here's what happened. My eyes had focused on it, but I never beheld it. I never studied it. I never got it inside of me. I'd never seen that. And all of a sudden, I beheld it. Now, that's what the word behold means. Uh, A few years ago, 56 to be exact, I stood before a pastor in the front of a church and looked over at the most beautiful woman I ever knew and the the most beautiful woman I've ever known. And I stood there and I beheld her. I beheld her. I've lived 56 years with her and I'm still beholding her. There's things about her I'm still seeing and still focusing on and still taking in. That's what it means to behold. Now that's what he's saying. He says, if we behold, if we behold him, these things begin to happen in our life. Now let me give you the point from this, the foundational truth that I want you to see from this. Here it is. We're not transformed by what we do, but by who we behold. You better write that down. That's pretty heavy, folks. We're not transformed into the image of God by what we do, but by who we behold. I grew up in this denomination a long time ago, and somewhere in my mind, I can't tell you that anybody got up and preached or told me that, but somewhere in my mind, I got this idea that the more you do for God, the more you're going to become like Him. And the more you're going to be loved by Him. Now, we are to do for God. I'm not saying that. But friend, what changes us is not doing work in the church. What changes us is who we behold when we get in the Word. 
And if we've got a veil over our face or if we've got another Jesus, we're not beholding the Jesus of this book. Now listen carefully. This is going to get harder. There's a fourth foundational truth. Write this down. If my concept of Jesus Christ is not the Jesus of the Scriptures, then my Jesus is an idol. My Jesus is an idol. Friend, you don't want idolatry. And though many of us are already into it, it is a dangerous thing. And if my concept of Jesus Christ is not the concept of the Jesus in this Bible, I'm in idolatry. Now listen carefully to all of this. It's a serious sin. Turn to Psalms 135. I want you to see this. It's two times in Psalms. It's not only in Psalms 135, but it is also in Psalms 115. But we're going to look at 135, and I want you to listen. I'm going to begin in the 15th verse of Psalms 135. Listen very carefully. The idols of the nations are silver and gold. The work of men's hands. That's an important phrase. The work of men's hands. You see, if I have a concept in my mind that Jesus is like this, like I've made him, then that concept in my mind becomes the Jesus that I worship. When a man makes an idol by hand, he has a concept in his mind how he's going to carve or how he's going to mold that idol. So he says there in that verse, the idols of the nations are silver and gold, the work of man's hands. Now notice verse 16, talking about these idols. They have mouths, but they do not speak. They have mouths, but they do not speak. Now I know a lot of people in churches that I go and I preach in who have a Jesus that doesn't speak. He doesn't speak to them. And they have mouths. You would think if they had a mouth, if their Jesus had a mouth, he'd speak to them once in a while. You ask them, how, do you, how does your Jesus speak to you? Oh, well, he wrote a book to these people thousands of years ago. I read what he told them. My pastor gets up and he says so-and-so. I listen to what he says about him. I sit in a small group. I learn about him through the teacher there. Friend, if that's all you have for a Jesus, you have the wrong Jesus. Let me tell you about Jesus Christ. He speaks to you when you belong to Him. That's what God's Word tells Him. He does speak to us. He says, my sheep hear my voice. If you do not hear from Jesus Christ, I don't care how long you've been to church or how many churches you're a member of, I want you to understand you have another Jesus. But that's not all of it. He's not through talking to us. Look at the second part of that. He says, they have eyes, eyes they have, but they do not see. They have eyes, but they do not see at all. There's a lot of people who have a Jesus like that, and they walk right in our churches. How do you know, Kent, that their Jesus doesn't see? Let me tell you something. I know people who will change their lifestyle when they're around me, a pastor. And I'm just me. 
If your Jesus could see, let me ask you, would you be doing all the things you're doing when you think you're doing them in the dark where nobody can see? You see, they have an idol. Their Jesus doesn't see. And if your Jesus doesn't see, you can do anything you want to. You have another Jesus. Oh, he's not through. Listen to verse 17. They have ears, but they do not hear. They have ears, but they do not hear. They don't hear the word. They don't hear what he says. They're just sort of dead on the inside. No life whatsoever. They can't hear him. They don't hear him. They don't know what he's saying. Those ears don't hear anything. But now I want you to notice something else. The second part of verse 17. Nor is there any breath in their mouths. He doesn't hear. Well, let me tell you something. If your Jesus could hear, would you be talking all of that profanity? Would you be talking about gossip in the church? Would you be slandering somebody? Would you be using all kinds of words to tear people down if your Jesus could hear you? They have an idol. He don't hear, so they don't have to worry about it. And the second part of that verse says that nor is there any breath in their mouths. Their idols are dead. I want to tell you, God breathed life into this book, the Lord Jesus Christ. But oh, the next verse is the most telling. It is the most telling of all. Look at verse 18. Those who make them are like them. So is everyone who trusts in them. I want to give you a foundational truth. You're going to have two under this heading. This is, this is the most foundational truth in all the Bible. Let me tell you what it is. And you hang right on to it. I want you to know it. Here's what God tells us. And this is so, so important. A person becomes like their Jesus. A person becomes like their Jesus. You want to know what your Jesus is like? What are you like? Go look in the mirror. You become just like your Jesus. Whether it's a false Jesus or whether it's the Lord Jesus Christ of this book. You become just like that. Like him. It's what he's telling us. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 3.18, but we all with unveiled face, you remember this a while ago, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as by the Spirit of the Lord. If you behold the Lord Jesus Christ, you become like the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're not beholding Him, if you're looking and beholding another Jesus, you're becoming like that Jesus. That's what this says. 1 John, interesting little old book. Five chapters. The last chapter, final chapter of that book has 20, verse, verse 21. The last verse of chapter 5 of Second John, or 1 John rather. 
And I looked at that for years and I didn't understand that because he, John gives us all these amazing things about God in 1 John. And then at the very end, here's what he says. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. I just thought he just stuck that in there because he thought that'd be a good place to put it. There's a reason behind that. That book, 1 John, breaks down very easy in three themes. Very easy to understand. The first theme is the theme of light. If you're not looking at an idol, but you got your face and your eye and your focus on the Lord Jesus Christ, then you will live in the light of obedience. That's what he was talking about. The light. It also has a theme in it. The second theme in that is that the theme of love. If you are focused on the Lord Jesus Christ, then friend, you're going to have love, not only for Christ, but for everyone else. The theme of love. And the last theme, it just that little book breaks down in those three themes. The last of that is you, when you are focused on the Lord Jesus Christ, you will remain faithful. Faithfulness. You'll remain faithful. Friend, that's the reason he said, don't get off in idols. They're going to take you from all these things I've told you about. You'll be focusing on them. When I focus on idol, I worship it. An idol can be my address that I live at. It can be my bank account. It can be the automobile that I drive. It can be a lot of stuff. It can be my building that I worship in. You know, 25 years ago, when the mother church of your church started, there was a group of people who realized that we in our churches were beginning to worship our traditions. We didn't want to leave those. And we were thinking specifically about the traditions of music. So that was one of the big things that marked us as a church, contemporary church at that time. But let me give you some news. I'm finding out going into contemporary churches that they're now worshiping their contemporary music. Oh my goodness. They're now worshiping that. Getting off into that. We can worship anything in our church. But the Bible tells us that we're not to do that. Listen, in our churches, we ask, does it work, rather than does it please God? I've got a lot of amens there, friend. I want you to know that's the truth. That's the truth. All that. We, we seek a strategy to grow the church rather than seek the face of God. That's what we do. Let me tell you something else about idolatry to help you understand and know if you're in idolatry. You listen to this carefully. I've just written down some things here. If you refuse to give up a sin, then you're in idolatry. You're choosing that sin over God. If you hold on to a grudge, your anger is an idol. If you choose not to get over pain where others have wounded you, you have an idol. If you don't pray, except you're just really pinned to your back against something, you're an idol. You're your own idol. You think you're big enough to handle everything. If you're living to get the next thing, 
whether it's a position, a possession, or somebody, or whatever, you're in idolatry. Listen carefully to this one. If your position in this church means more to you than your walk with God, you're in an idol. You're an idol worshiper. Goodness. Friend, we have a broken system. That's all I know to say. Former Senate chaplain Richard Haverson, tremendous man, if you've ever read any of his works, but he said this a few years ago. He said, in the beginning, the church was a fellowship of men and women centered on the living Christ. Then the church moved to Greece where it became a philosophy. Then it moved to Rome where it became an institution. And next it moved to Europe where it became a culture. And finally it moved to America where it became an enterprise. How's your enterprise doing? Mm. We have lost the ability to know these things anymore. Goodness. Let's look at one last foundation, a fifth one. Ephesians 4 verse 18 says, Having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God, because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness in their heart. Let me give you the last and final uh, foundational truth that I want you to get. We have lost the ability to discern good. We no longer can discern good in our private life, in our public life, in our churches. We don't know. Let me tell you what I'm trying to say. There's a lot of people in love with Jesus, but it's not the Jesus of the Bible. There's a lot of people who will praise Jesus, but it's not the Jesus of the Bible. Listen, listen carefully. There are people who have accepted Jesus, but not the Jesus of the Bible. They have another Jesus. Friend, if you've got another Jesus, you can't discern truth. You don't know the light. You don't know that at all. Goodness. We've moved away from the simplicity and the purity of devotion to Christ. We've got into everything else. We have depreciated biblical truths for shallow emotional experiences. We've become infatuated with ourselves, with our influence, our preoccupation with ourselves, our prestige. In other words, we believe stuff, our strut is stuff. We just strut around thinking everything's okay and we cannot even know the difference anymore. I close with final application I just want you to see this. The Jesus of the Bible has contempt for sin. Contempt for sin. That's the harshest word I know I can say right now. The Jesus of the Bible that preaches the gospel to the poor, that heals the brokenhearted, that binds up the bruised, that gives sight to the blind, that Jesus would love to be welcomed in our church. In our small group, in our lives. Let me just tell something that may shock you, but I want you to see it and I want you to hear it. Let me tell you about Jesus Christ. He's not Southern Baptist, 
I know that'll be hard on some of us. But he's not. Let me tell you something else about him. He's not black. He's not white. He's not Asian. He's the Word of God. And that's how he acts. And that's who he is. And once you latch onto that, and you focus on that, and you behold that, you and I will become like that. That's what the Word says. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. He took my sin. But in faithfulness to the word of God, if you do not repent and turn and receive him as your Lord, then you will receive the whole wrath of God upon you, just like his son did. If you refuse to receive him. Last Sunday we talked about repentance. Metanoia. It's a lot of things. It means turning from sin. It, it will include being broken over the conditions we are. Sorry for the way we've treated God. But the main thing about repentance, about metanoia in the Greek is that it means we turn from what we've been doing. We turn from another Jesus to the Lord Jesus Christ of this book. That's what we're talking about. Oh, my friend, Jesus Christ never sinned, but he took my sin and he took your sin on that cross. I want to ask you, what should Jesus look like? And if he's not the Jesus of this Bible, you have another Jesus. We are so used to making Jesus fit our little old picture and our description and our favorability that we've just remade him like we want him. And he lets me do a lot of things. Another Jesus. I'm going to ask you to stand. I don't, our keyboard, Cordis, and I appreciate you so much being here and playing for us. I just want you this morning, as somebody standing in this place, I don't care how long you have been saved or how long you have been a church member, I want you to look back over your life and ask yourself in all truthfulness and faithfulness right now to yourself, do I have another Jesus? Do I have another Jesus? Am I doing things that only idol worshipers do? Maybe this morning you have to admit, I have another idol. I have another Jesus over here. Would you be willing this morning just to ask God to forgive you for that? And would you just say, God, I am a sinner. alienated away from you. I cannot even discern where the light is. But I ask you this morning, Father, would you forgive me? I repent of that life. And would you save me? Would you do that this morning? Right where you're standing. Father, I'm a sinner. And I ask you, God, to forgive
by faith, I ask you to save me. Would you do that? If you've done that right now, would you come down here and tell me about it? Don't be ashamed. Just tell me about it. You can come here and just tell me about what God's done in your life. If you prayed that prayer this morning. Before we receive our offering, let me just remind our guests again, you're only to put that card in the offering basket. You're our guest. Before we receive our offering...